Welcome to an episode written by Bradley Thompson and David Weddle. Hope I'm saying their names right. They've done... It's a writing duo that's done several other episodes of DS9. And by has done, I mean will do. Getting my tenses confused here. They'll, do, they'll give us several cool episodes, including one of my favorites later on, Treachery, Faith, and the Great River. So here, they are challenged. Let's see how far we can push Quark. And this results in an episode that, while it does have two substantial flaws, I tend to consider this among my favorite DS9 episodes. Really. I really do feel like this is a flawed... Great but flawed is something I've been saying a lot lately with regards to my game stuff that I cover. And it usually refers to something that has a lot of great elements and several bad elements. And that that feels like this episode. But it absolutely is sold in several ways. Um... I forgot to look his name up. The gentleman who plays Hagoth is wonderfully slimy in a very creepy, unpleasant kind of a way. And, of course, they got Lawrence Tierney, which I'm probably saying his name wrong. But he is just as absolutely horrifying as he always is. I mean, that's pretty much the reason they got him, right? Anyways, before I move on, though, I want to address one of those flaws, because the <laughs> there's a B-plot to this episode. No, oh, no, Yoshi won't go to sleep. No... Okay, <clears throat> and that's it. No, I'm kidding. I do have a couple things to say about it. I am amused that he's good with Worf, and I do like the idea of Worf. Well, later on, spoiler alert, uh, in a future episode, not too far from now, I think, actually, uh, Worf will go ahead and agree to babysit for the young kid. And he mentions how he never got to be with Alexander at that age, and it was one of his biggest regrets, which is something I understand, actually. I was fortunate enough to be around my niece when she was, I think, about nine months was when I first was able to start taking care of her. Which brings me to the second part I have to talk about. O'Brien, he's just holding on to the kid while he's went around doing his life. Um, that's not quite how it went with me. But let me tell you, I you get very, very accustomed to the idea that you tend to get your sleep whenever it happens. Just whenever it's possible. Because all the rest of the time, you're going to be taking care of them, right? And they don't really have a sleeping schedule yet. They just wake up when they wake up, and they fall asleep when they fall asleep. It's funny how used to that you get, actually. Although, I did discover just how tired I am, or how old and terrible I am, uh, in the course of doing that myself. It was still awesome. It was just amusing. I did have a note here. Does Starfleet have, like, a, a child paternity, maternity leave thing? You'd think they would. I mean, this is Starfleet, right? But no, no, of course they don't. In fact, it takes... It, it, it has to get to the level of severity where Miles is putting his son in a little custom bay pod in the, engineer, in, in the ops in order to... Have, in order to keep doing his job, and then Cisco's like, "Look, go, go, take some time off. Go, <laughs> four days leave. Go home." And it's only four days. That's all he gets. I know that we're all kind of used to overworking, but good lord, Starfleet, what the hell? Anyways, <clears throat> let's get to the A plot. Why is Cork broke? I mean, he has all these debts and he is being financially destroyed. Now, yes, I know, obviously, he can't do any business with other Ferengi, but he can still do business in general. He still has a bar that still has people running through it, and if you'll remember, he doesn't pay rent. This is something that was established in a previous episode. I don't remember which one. Please forgive me. So why exactly is he broke? 
So then Gala shows up. Now, the gentleman who plays Gala does a very good job there, too. I should just look up these guys' names. Hang on. I've got it right here. I always keep it right here, just in case. So the guy who played Haggith was Steven Berkoff. And the guy who played Gala was Josh Pais, which I'm probably mispronouncing both of those horribly. This is why I don't look up names all the time. For, for, for Sometimes I'll look up the pronunciation of names if it's really important. But for this, I'm just... Eh. Gala comes across as... Oh, how do I put it? Amazingly detached from his job. To him, everything he's doing is as exactly normal as whatever your job is in real life. Like, I'll use a parallel. I used to work at Arby's. And I'll be like, hello, you know, yep, because I was usually on uh, drive through which means I had the headset. Yep, thank you for Arby's. What can I get for you? Okay, it's a number three. It's large with a Coke. Anything else? All right, that's 244 or whatever the price is. <laughs> Actually, if that was 244, holy crap. Uh, please pull forward. Go ahead and typing it up, get the printout, going over to exposition, you know, blah, 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 right? That is the... Now, I'm going to replace the words to really get my point across here, so please forgive me for belaboring the point. Okay, yep, welcome to Galas. How can I help you? Yep, so you want to kill 20 million people and then 8 million people later? No problem. Uh, we've got something for that. Uh, that's going to cost you 328 uh, yes, it, charged, it costs more than an Arby's meal. Uh-huh, yep, okay, please drive forward. And I go and get the weapons ready and kill 20 million people. The actor does a wonderful job with portraying just how banal it is. He mentions, as, as an aside in later in the episode, that he's been doing this for 40 years. You get the very strong impression that he, if he ever had any qualms about what he's doing, they went away decades ago. Let, let me rewind on the episode a bit. So there's a few key points that come up, a little bit of uh, build-up. So first of all, you can see how easy it is for Cork to get into this business. Why? There's a concept I call A to Z. It's the idea that if you jump straight from A, way over here, all the way to Z, way over here, that's a huge jump. No! No, I'd never do that. That's crazy. What about A to B? Well, that's, that's, yeah, okay, sure, I'll do that. I mean, that's a tiny jump. That's barely different than what I'm doing. Well, what about B to C? And C to D and D to E. And you get it, right? So what Cork does is A to B. I, I have to be a salesman and pitch weapons to people, and I just run it through my hollow suite, and we'll do it here, and blah, blah, blah. I'm not actually selling weapons. I'm not actually becoming a part of the business proper. I'm just sitting over here doing my job. Okay. Cool. I'm with that. It's also interesting how this adds to distance theory. Uh, at this point, I'm not even sure this qualifies as a theory, since so much just keeps proving it true, but it comes up constantly in fiction. The idea that the more distanced you are to the thing you're doing, the easier it is for you to do it. Uh, to use the obvious parallel, killing someone. Strangling someone with your bare hands, difficult. Ordering someone to push a button that'll kill someone, much easier. And what Cork's doing, yeah, he's selling weapons, but whatever. You know, he's not, he's not even actually properly selling the weapons himself. All he's doing is trying to play showcaser. He's, he's, he's being the front end, to use a, a modern uh, a digital store. He's the front end of a store. That's it. He's just the salesman, and that's something he can do, and he can just kind of scrub his conscience of it. Which is interesting, because as Jadzia so accurately points out later, his conscience is bothering him. But I'll get back to that in a minute. So then, 
he mentions, and he mentions, there's a lot of smart things about the script. Uh, Sagath mentions as an aside, selling to both sides. It's risky. It's, it's very dangerous, and it's the kind of thing you should only do very rarely. But if you can manage it, it is very profitable. And I like that because that makes sense. In my opinion, too often in fiction, people seem, they, they seem to portray weapons dealers as, yeah, we sell to all, both sides constantly. When in reality, that would actually be exactly as risky as portrayed because the moment you get caught, you're going to have a problem, right? It's also probably worth noting, and this goes without saying, really, but simply being in the weapons dealing business is terrifying in its own right because you're dealing in weapons. You, you could say practically and functionally it's the same as selling a burger or an Arby's meal, but it isn't because that meal can't immediately be turned on you and sh sh shot at you. And, well, it's kind of, I hate to say this, but it's kind of like drug dealing, basically. It's one of those very profitable, incredibly dangerous industries that you either have to be really good at or really stupid in order to really get anywhere in it. If you're really good at it, if you're, if you're sufficiently intelligent and brutal and horrible, then you can manage to make a name for yourself. You will eventually fall, but, it won't, but you know, you can enjoy the good times until then. If you're stupid, then you're jumping in because it makes a lot of money, and you will die. And this is actually what happens fairly commonly in real-life history, uh, although I don't want to get too much into slash or hashtag controversial, but you get the idea. So... Now, why am I bringing all this up with regards to this episode? The episode does a good job of showcasing the monumental variance in mentality between Galen Sagoth and Quark. Galen Sagoth are people who have been doing this business for a while. They're the smart ones, the competent ones, the ones who, as I implemented er mentioned earlier, are the ones who can actually ride the wave, so to speak. Someone like Quark? Well, I don't want to call him stupid. It would probably be more accurate to say he is desperate, which can functionally be stupidity, because you're doing things you probably shouldn't do. But one of the things I find funny is Quark clearly doesn't actually understand the field he's getting into in all ways. Not just because of the morality, not just because of the conscience, but it's shown right at the beginning. Again, a lot of foreshadowing in this in this script. Right at the beginning, he's, he, he's talking to Gala, and Gala's trying to get him in. And Gala's like, yeah, I'll give you 5% or no sales. Now... Most people hear 5% and they think, oh, that's pathetic. And so Quark immediately, and without hesitation, just very next line, I'll take 10. And then Gala casually shows him the kind of money that goes through this system and says, no, you'll take the 5. And Quark's like, oh my god, because he didn't know. He literally was acting, acting in ignorance. And that is the whole point, as Quark is getting into a field that he has no idea what he's doing. So... Haggis, <laughs> uh, actually, real quick, I want to mention something. Quark is severely in debt. Uh, I'll go ahead and spoil this. By the end of the episode, he will not be in debt anymore. In fact, the big deal with the Regent is the one that will ha that happens after all the debts are cleared. So all his debts are being paid over the course of this episode. And that's a funny narrative point, because what it does is it kind of etch-a-sketches the board for Quark. He's no longer destitute, but his status quo doesn't change. So status quo is maintained, yay! And we don't have to worry about consequences or anything actually mattering in the next episode. Yeah, I know, I, I'm being derogatory here. But it is still a clever way to maintain the status quo. Because he does make a lot of money, it just goes to paying off all his debts. So he doesn't actually make anything. So, another little point. Hagoth actually mentions how he prefers to buy influence in addition to money. And I know what you're thinking, how do you buy money? 
So anyways, Haggath buys influence as well as money. And this is an interesting insight, and again, shows how much he knows what he's doing, and how much he is able to, again, ride the waves. In fact, if not for Cork basically completely side-blasting him out, out of this whole thing, he would have kept doing this for years to come. Gala, too, actually. Uh, then this is immediately followed by him criticizing a follower for basically failing. And what's interesting is, at first it seems reasonable. The guy failed on sealing a deal because he was off on Ryza, doing what people do on Ryza. Flying around with the hover packs, of course, and trying to get the daily thing where you go through the arrows. It's very fun. But then we find out later they had him killed. Now, that is actually what I was expecting from the former scene. But I point that out because it is once again an example of the A to B to C to D mentality. Because at first glance, what him dressing him down and kicking him out of the organization makes perfect sense. He made a mistake because of... He didn't even make a mistake. What he did was he screwed up. He did the wrong thing. And as a consequence of his incompetence, they just lost a lot of money as a group. So, you're out. Okay. Then he has him killed. Uh, what? And you can see how it starts to become a little bit of a problem. Big, quick point here. If you're ever going to be an evil overlord, don't toy with your minions. Not that I would know anything about that, of course. But the point is, you know, you want them to actually be afraid of you when you're going to actually execute them. Don't just, just play around with them. He does that with Quark, and it just irritates me. So, <clears throat> there's a bit where he goes to Jadzia. This is the other flaw of the episode, in my opinion. One of the things that I've really hated about DS9, going back through it, and I don't know why I never really noticed it before, is the rest of the crew really mistreat Quark. Oh, don't mistake me. I understand them not liking him, but I would go so far as to say that they actively do mistreat him to the point where it is unacceptable. It's usually played off for laughs or, oh, well, he's just so much beneath our high ideals, but they're actually legitimately mean to him on multiple occasions, to the point of being abrasive. And this has bothered me the entire series. And here, Jadzia can clearly see that Quark actually does care and is bothered by this. She knows him well enough to know that. She's known him for years now, for the last six years at this point. And, or five years, the season five, five years. Sorry, I'm, I'm mentally jumping back and forth between G and DS9. So she's known him for five years. And she knows that this is bothering him and that this is a good time to try and help him or take care of him, be there for him, embrace him. Nah, she's just rude, crude, and, and tells him to piss off. This actually happens even worse later when he's going to her, basically thinking that he is about to go to his death. And her reaction? Go away, Quark. Don't mistake me. I understand the ire. Because if one of my friends decided to go into weapon selling, I'd probably have a pretty similar reaction. But at the same time, one of the things I've noticed is that while some people want to do better or redeem themselves completely on their own, some people want to do that if they are embraced, for lack of a better way to put it. The Magneto effect, let's just call it what it is, right? And this is something DS9 actually consistently shows, that the characters uh, don't embrace people, and as a consequence, they don't change. And what I don't mean physically embracing. I mean, you know, being accepting, being understanding, being tolerant, willing to talk to them, willing to... You get it. So instead, she completely shuts Quark out. Thankfully, his conscience did actually bother him enough to do this regardless, because it would be wonderful to see yet another decot situation, but I'm getting off topic. 
So then, <laughs> then they bring in Lawrence Tierney, and I, I really hope I'm saying his name right because he's, he is an awesome actor. Um, unfortunately, the gentleman actually was suffering from a stroke, or rather, had just suffered from a stroke. Let's use correct terminology here. So he was having trouble with his lines and memorizing them, and you can kind of tell he's got the thing going on with his face and all that. Now, what's funny is in hindsight, I didn't know this until I rewatched it this time around. Uh, at the time, though, I thought he was doing it deliberately to showcase how unhinged he was. Multiple times they mentioned how he's basically a madman, how he's some kind of insane dictator, and his performance gets that across, but it was apparently completely on accident. With one notable exception, I came here to purchase weapons. Are you here to sell them to me? The way he says that is terrifying. And the way he so casually says, eight million? Terrifying. But what's even more terrifying to me is Gala and Sagoth's reaction to that. They're just, again, welcome to Arby's. Oh, you want 28 million dead? Okay, that's going to be 433. Price just keeps going up. That, that was chilling, to be completely blunt. And it's funny because that is Alexander Siddig's directorial style in a nutshell. He, he, I've noticed every time he directs something, he tends to lean towards the more... Uh, coldly horrifying aspect of things. This is something that will come up in future episodes. I'll mention this at least one more time in the future that I know of. And the dream sequence where everyone's like, ah, you kill this. Mm, looks like you lose. You know, that whole thing. It's all very much his style. But then we get to probably the best scene in the entire episode. <sighs> Quark is standing there. And Gala says, what are you doing? God, if Agath knew that, he'd have, he'd have you thrown out the airlock. I've been in this business for 40 years. I can't get out of this business if my, my hand-picked successor isn't going to do this. Notice that Gala has never actually been doing any of this for Quark's sake, by the way. Gala reaches out to Quark. Gala helps Quark ingratiate with Sagath. Quark, Gala wants Quark to take over for him. None of that is for Quark's sake. It is a 100% purely selfish perspective. He just believes Quark is a good fit for what he needs. A tool necessary for the job and nothing more. Because that's how Gala's mind works. And I point that out because it helps to showcase part of his mentality going into this. Thus, when the tool starts not working correctly, he's rather perturbed. And he points out at the stars. If I offered you 10 million gold press latinum, would you really turn my money down? And I was like, I've, seen, I've heard that before. So I looked it up. Forgive me, I'm going to drag this over my first monitor because I'm going to read this to you here. This, this line is just chilling, and I quote, <sighs> Victims? Don't be so melodramatic. Look down there. Tell me. Would you really feel any pity if, if one of those dots stopped moving forever? If I offered you 20,000 pounds for every dot that stopped, would you really, old man, tell me to keep my money? Or would you calculate how many dots you could spare? It is a horrifyingly chilling thing. But this shows Gala's flaw. Gala does not understand Quark at all. Quark is not an evil person. He is willing to do underhanded things. He is willing to cheat and lie. But he doesn't kill, and he is certainly not a mass murderer. He is very not cool with this, no matter how much money you offer him. Because it's a line. That was indeed the whole point of the episode. Where is Quark's line? Well, here it is. Bam. This is unacceptable. 
So Korp goes to Jadzia, and I already complained about that. And then he goes to Higoth and feeds him a load of lies. I've actually pointed out several times in this rumination series that Quark's tells for when he's lying are actually very obvious if you pay attention you know them. And funnily enough, Alexander, uh, not Alexander Six, sorry, Armin Shimmerman always uses the same tells whenever he's lying as Quark. So watching that scene, you could tell he's lying through his teeth, no pun intended. He is completely spewing BS, and Hagoth, who prides himself on his observational skills, doesn't see any of it. I found that very fascinating. By the way, for those of you who don't remember, I'll go ahead and remind you, Quark is most obviously lying when he shows no nervousness or uncertainty whatsoever. When he is confident and smooth, he's lying. When he just goes right through it. There's a sort of <laughs> he gets when he's being more sincere, and a hesitant sort of a thing that he gets when he's not sure, and then a, all right, whatever, I'm just going to do it, kind of a tone, when he's knuckling down to do something hard. But when he's lying, oh, it's just, it's just smooth as butter. So, uh, the, the, I, I actually really like the way Quark resolves this, by the way. Invites the other rebellious leader on board, pushes them into the same room, walks away... <laughs> It was actually pretty clever. It's funny, he mentions, I didn't know they were going to start shooting. I uh, I don't know how much I believe that, but what I like most is that he is honest when he talks to Sisko. He, he, we don't hear it, because obviously we don't need to hear him recite the whole episode. But we get the implication, he flat out admits everything he did. Yes, I did this, I got them together to stop this deal, because he was a madman. The, you know, the liquidation squads have cut up to the region, he's dead. I can live with that. I'm going to get 28 million other people who can live with that too. 28 million and one. I like that. And then, of course, he gets one new debt at the end of the episode to repair the damage done. But he gets his conscience, and he gets his friends, and 28 million people get to keep living. I'd say that's a fair trade. And I think he would, too. And I think that's the point. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this fairly excellent episode. I'll see you next time, guys.